Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this little table plunked in the middle of a church here in San Carlos, and thank you that we can gather here. Thank you, Lord, that you are a triple A father. <laughs> you are um, all that we need to be, and you have given yourself to us that we can be um, as you <clears throat> to our children. And... Uh, and beyond, Lord, to uh, your whole family. And so, Lord, I, I just ask you for your spirit of wisdom and revelation to move here and move among us um, in the next hour. And, um, yeah, God, that you would come and um, meet the hunger in the hearts of um, parents to glorify you and to raise their children well, uh, as kingdom individuals uh, out to the edge of their destiny of what's possible for them in this lifetime, Lord. And as far as it pertains to them as parents, God, they want to do it right. They want to um, they want to be in the center of your will and how they love their children and raise their children. So, God, thank you. You said if they hunger and thirst, you'll satisfy them. And I pray that something about today, the living truth, would... Um, be there to lay down foundations for great futures. In Jesus' name. Yeah. So I was thinking on the way down here how as Christians we think biblically and and yet in our parenting so much of what we do is Model after the world, and and that brethren ought not be. <laughs> you know I, why we don't understand that we don't look to the world for our levels of revelation or for our patterns of what we do, um, because even when in the world it looks like it's working great, it's going to be far less than what God intends, because our eyes are on the wrong reference points, right? So. We are to be God's people who rule on the earth. We are to be the wise ones. We are to be the, answer, the ones who have, have answers to the naughty problems of life that nobody else can fix. Um, we are the ones who are to stand in the gate and speak with the words of God. You know, what do I hear the Father saying? I'm going to say this, and it silences the fools, and it brings forth life, and we're to bring dark light into dark places and all of that. And, and so to be responsible for the next generation, first to live that ourselves, but then to be responsible to bring the next generation up into that level of destiny call is, means we really cannot afford to dabble down in low things. <laughs> so what I want to do today is just once again raise our sights to say off the world and onto a much better, higher way of, of our framework. Who are our children? Who are we to them? And what is this thing all about, right? Because um, we can only go, you go in the direction that your eyes are looking. You know, you drive on 
the slide, and, and I always think I can watch all those pelicans going by, and I, certainly I won't be, you know. And then, and then all of a sudden you look up and you go, wow, I've moved in the direction that my eyes look. You just, that, that's just a natural law, right? And it's a spiritual law, too. So what I see as my vision of my children is the direction I'm going to move in. I create a reality based on what I expect and what I see and how I envision so it really matters that we get into a high place of, of what we're thinking about with our children. So I'm not going to go back and review anything from last week because we've got a little recorder thing here and you can listen to that. And everything that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, is it, it's going to build. So I would just highly encourage you to go back and take that hour or something, pop it in the car and, and listen to it. Um, and, and know that each... I hope, and this is my prayer, is that each of the session is going to have, sessions will have some level of a living idea, or as Charlotte Mason would say, an idea that can take root in your spirit. And five years from now, you're not going to say, I heard this, and I'm thinking about this. You're going to be teaching it to people because it's yours, and you won't know where the heck it came from. <laughs> you know? I mean, you won't go, was that Charlotte Mason? I don't know. It's just me. This is how I think. This is how I feel. It's how I relate. And that's good, yeah. right? Okay. So I want to build on an idea that we that I put out, um, considered last week, that the widely accepted belief that children go through these stages of development, these these where you can categorize and say, this is going to be the terrible twos, this is going to be the whiny years, this is going to be the, the ferocious fives, this is going to be whatever, right? That... It's, it's almost like a cult-like belief in the world that we all just accept. And um, so I, I want you to listen to this. that I found this on about.com pediatrics. All right? No one looks forward to the terrible twos, a developmental stage that usually begins sometime in the toddler years. Although many parents don't expect the terrible twos to start until their toddler is two years old, it is important to note that it can begin any time in your child's second year. And it can last for the rest Watch of their life. I want you to analyze this. And so any time after their first birthday, and unfortunately, sometimes even before. So how do you feel about having a two-year-old? This is like a, you know, a colonoscopy or something. You go, oh, my God, let's put this off, right? That was horrifying. That's true. The scale is totally different. It's like endurance pain. Okay, it goes on and it says, characterized by toddlers being negative about most things and often saying no, the terrible twos may also find your toddler having frequent mood changes and temper tantrums. To help you cope with this normal stage in your child's development, it's so hard not to love so sure. To help you cope with this normal stage, no temper tantrums. That's all normal, right? To help you cope with this normal stage in your child's development, you should always remember that your child isn't trying to be defiant or rebellious on purpose. He's just trying to express his growing independence and doesn't have the language skills to easily express his needs. This can also be the reason why your toddler frequently gets frustrated and resorts to hitting, biting, and temper tantrums when he doesn't get his way. 
So this is what, if we keep our eyes on the world, this is what every coffee time with moms, with young kids, I mean, it's all going to be talking about the terrible twos, the tantrums, the, oh, you know, how do I ignore this? Do we do timeouts for that? Handling all of this so-called normal behavior. Now, I want to give you a different perspective, and the whole emphasis of today is to say, if you want to buy into that, you will have a child who's in the terrible twos, and you'll have the more terrible threes, and you'll have the ferocious fours, and the, you know, <laughs> the freak out fives, and the, you know, <laughs> you're going to have it. You're going to have it, because you will find in your child what you look for, all right? There will be a time when a child whines. And if you look at that and go, well, here we are in the whiny ones or whatever, you know, I mean, now you just have created an environment that says, I want, I had an experience with my child or my child, you know, exhibited a behavior, but now I've gone, whoo, here we are entering into the tunnel of no one looks forward to this, right? Oh, God, we just passed through the door of the part we're not looking forward to. And you, and you have your whole environment and that will be your reality. All right, listen, listen to this. <laughs> oh, here's a description of what we call in the worldly culture, right? Our, our culture um, in the world says adolescence is defined from 12 to 20 in this article. Okay, so this is in the Concise Encyclopedia. Adolescence is characterized by a lack of clearly defined role in society. And it is generally regarded as an emotionally intense and often stressful period. Did you hear that? Adolescence, this time between that they, I mean, that word did not exist 150 years ago. That is a totally made-up word. That is not, did not come with Noah's Webster's dictionary, right? It just was interjected because psychologists said we've got to define this time that is characterized by a lack of clearly defined role in society. That's a, that's a disease? I mean, is that, that's a state of being a, characterized by a lack of clearly defined role in society? That's a condition that we create. Hi. Um, so your name is? Oh. I'm Brinley. Oh, Brinley. Great. You're the one that I, that I uh, emailed. Me. Emailed. Oh, so nice to have you here. So let's go around. Brinley lives out on the coast, right? No, I don't. I live in Redwood City. Oh, Redwood City. Okay. All right. So Brinley, and we don't know each other, but just emailed a little bit, and so glad she's here. And this is? Jasmine Rowe. And then we've got an almost Bart. Bart. And Bart. I'm Stephanie Patterson. I'm Ben. We have a 13-month-old. Okay. Oh, my God. He's starting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Ian. Um, my wife isn't here, Kimberly. We're about to have a, uh, a zero-year-old. Zero <laughs> I'm Svetlana. My husband, Steve, is in the car with our sleeping machine. Oh, okay. All right, so we're just talking about how, as, as believers, um, the downside of buying into the world's categorization of stages of children. And um, I'm going to suggest an alternative that I think is much higher ground for us. So. All right, so anyway, this business of saying that for adolescents, that it's characterized by this lack of clearly defined role in society, you go, that's, a, that's something we create in our society, right? I mean, it's not something that is innate within a, 
an individual just because of a time frame or an age. Craziness. So Wikipedia says adolescence is viewed as a transitional period between childhood and adulthood. So they've, they've tagged it and said, you are in transition. Well, what would I do with somebody in transition? I wouldn't ever lay down a road, you know, like, like a solid... I wouldn't put down roots in any aspect of life, right? I mean, if you say somebody's transitional, I'm going, well, I'm not going to really develop a deep friendship with you because you're going to be gone tomorrow. You know, I mean, transition is you just, it is, it's not a good state of being to live in transition. So if we're looking at this age range and saying you're all in transition, you've just consigned them to hell and, you know, superficial life. Okay, the modern view of children and their behavior, their social emotional stages, does not serve us as Christians well. You know, we go back and we were just saying how, you know, we're called to put children in the next generation who are leaders and, and definers of the culture. And if we're going to wallow in this stuff, well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> all right. Um, it doesn't serve us for a variety of reasons. First of all, we get what we expect. Um, so if you agree with these stages, your child will accommodate you. I can absolutely agree. Is it possible that the terrible twos has become um, an identifiable phenomenon because during those years, or that year, they're just being terribly parented? Can I make like a, a little observation? Which yeah. is, so the, the natural extension of this mentality of terrible twos and and gruesome threes and awful fours and all the rest of this and the transitionary periods and things. People shudder when they hear and about, you guys remember the, the affluenza case yeah. mm -hmm. and things like that where they go, oh, well, he, you know, this young man, he, he grew up in wealth. He couldn't help but drive drunk and kill six people and, you know, drive while he's under the influence of all these drugs. And he can't help it because he grew up... In, in a wealthy environment and all the rest of this. And so he got, as far as I remember, acquitted. He just got off, right? And people look at that and they go, oh, that's horrifying. How could we possibly do that? This is a natural extension of the idea Absolutely. that, hey, a period of your life, it's okay for you to just go completely crazy. You're not responsible. Absolutely. And you're not responsible for your own actions. So we've extended childhood so far that now it's, it's okay for you to, to drive under the influence, kill six people, and then get off because we're like, it's okay, it's really just the twos, it's the terrible twos extended exactly. into your terrible 20s. Exactly, and it isn't even that we've extended, well, we, the business of extending childhood, but I would take it one set, step farther and say, we have an aberrant view of childhood. I mean, we have, we define childhood in such a sick way that uh, the world does, and I'm just going, hey, those of us who are following Jesus, let's not do that. Let's opt out. We have something so much better, right? I was thinking about the because you introduced this um, concept last week, so I was thinking about it this week, and um, the verse came to mind, I think it's in Hebrews or somewhere in Paul's writing, where he says, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, mm -hmm. I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I was like, he didn't talk about it. And then I went through adolescence, and then I became a man, yes. right? It was like, yes. as a child, so good. I became a man. And, uh, and I was like, oh, there it is. That's, that, it's, it's from... Childhood to being an adult. And I was a healthy child. Yeah. I mean, it was a child the way God defines childhood. I wasn't like a sick, aberrant, flailing two- and three-year-old, and then I became a man. Yeah. 
it's you're entering in from a whole different perspective of let's let's define what a healthy childhood is, right? Not an aberrant childhood that we create. Okay, so we've hit on this. You know, another reason is embracing these stages in your children leads you to view negative, unprofitable behaviors in your child as normal. The world calls it normal. It is not normal for a two-year-old to throw a temper tantrum. It is not normal for a 22-year-old to throw a temper tantrum. It's not normal for people, humans, to throw temper tantrums. I don't care if they're two or 22. It's not normal. It's wrong. It's unhealthy. It's unprofitable. And bottom line is it's sinful and it's fleshly. So if I was going to get into this probably next week, you know, from Charlotte Mason's beautiful statement of children are born persons, if we are going to respect our children, and from last week if you listen to the other tape, and we're not going to despise them, which Jesus comes right out and he says, don't despise the children, don't hinder the children, don't offend the children, that's his parenting class. Don't screw them up and don't stop them from coming to me because if you get out of my way and don't put up hindrances, it's all going to go well, right? <laughs> so that's a great parenting class. So we don't look at that as normal. So, three, it leads you to greatly undervalue your child's life. You really are despising a child. You're undervaluing them to not know their potential for human, positive human behavior at all stages of their life. So now you put a stumbling block. You put a hindrance in front of them, right? And Jesus says, woe be it to you. You put a, you know, hinder these little children, offend these little children, so we're not to do that. It artificially prolongs an aberrant childhood, which is not anywhere in God's intent. So now, let me ask you this question. Look at all of nature. And let's call, the you know, from birth into existence, we're going to call that childhood, whether we're talking about a giraffe or a... <laughs> You know, or I'm just like, let me just use that term, the childhood stage, right? How long in nature is the, quote, childhood stage of a being supposed to be? Well, there's two ways to look at it. You independent, physical independence, where it's no longer needs the parent to be sustained. And then you have probably sexual maturity. Yes, and those vary depending on species. Yes, exactly. And we're going to get to both, you know, get to the parenting part and then the, I'll, I'll give you some interesting things to tie in with that. So in nature, God has designed a very short, vulnerable childhood time for every living creature. It really is a time that is to move very, very quickly. I mean, you watch the birth of a giraffe, you know, plunk, falling six feet to the ground or something. And within, within, that's yeah, quite a scene. Oh, he's dead. Oh, no, he's alive. <laughs> All right, so that, that, that little animal or that little creature, right? I mean, they're up walking. The next day you see them, they're with the herd. and they're, I mean, God is just saying this period of vulnerability this period of childhood is a very, very short period of time. Um, and it's intended that way for human beings, too. So the aberrant 
I believe, really um, wrongly inspired idea of prolonging childhood, of making, Stephanie, I think you mentioned it last time, almost a cult of childhood, you know, just saying, okay, children, and we're going to, we'll talk about the educational thing at another time, but even dear Maria Montessori, you know, and her approach is like, let's make all the chairs tiny and let's do all the everything, you know, we're going to take childhood and institutionalize it almost like a whole industry, right, and bring everything down to a child's level. And you go, well, geez, because you're trying to keep them for a, as a child for a long time because my idea is they're only supposed to be a child for a very short period of time and I'm trying to get them to adulthood as quickly as is healthy for them to get there, right? So I'm not going to lower everything down. I'm always going to be raising everything up. Not too far to blow them away, but far enough that it makes them reach out, you know? I mean, well, I'll give this back to the Okay. So, here's the other thing. If you look at the Bible, you've got adulthood in with Jesus, 12 years old, right? Do you remember when he, his parents lost him, right? And he they went, oh, and they ran back to Jerusalem to try and find him. He's 12 years old in the temple and speaking among adults as an adult, right? Um, look at the life of David. Look at some of the child kings, right? Look at um, Daniel, you know, who could not find a place in society to really settle down because he was in transition. I think not, <laughs> you know? I mean, so we look at that and we go, okay, that's our norm, right? So I would like to say 12 years old is my aim. So what have I got? Mm, how many months does that make, you know? If, I, if I'm taking a 12-year-old and, <laughs> and saying that's going to be the, the coming of age, that's going to be the adult transition in my mind with my children. But let's push it back just for the sake of whatever and say 18, okay? I mean, what, who picked that number, right? But let, we picked that number. So let's do 18, right? That is very short when you say you're going to live to 80, 85 maybe, you know. Maybe if you say you're going to live to 70, little tiny bit of childhood, God willing, healthy, because now we're going to do this differently, right? And big, long time of adult. And I remember looking at Ben when he was born, you know, and I'm, I'm holding this child and I'm going, you know, I really have very, very few years, I could measure them in months, of being the mother in this person's life um, sort of nurturing in a, in a vulnerable state, you know, where there, his life depends on me, you know, he couldn't live without me or someone, you know, but say me, okay. And, and being aware of going, but the longest time of my life is going to be spent walking alongside these young men as adults, brothers and sisters in the Lord, running the race together for the king and the kingdom. So from the very moment the boys were born, I looked at them as adults in the making. I didn't look at them as children. And I think this is so biblical. And Charlotte Mason helped me, you know, to come to that, to go, if you start treating a child as the world says childhood, you're going to offend your children, you know, despise and hinder, which is what we said last week, we're not going there. Because you're going to hold them back and prolong this this artificially created view of childhood um, that it is not 
God. It's not, it does not serve them well. It does not bring them into their destinies well. So I would just commend to you, if you shift your sight, you're going to go and act in, re- in the direction that you're looking. When you look at your child, look and say, ooh, you know, cute little baby. Yeah, okay. But I'm looking at an adult in the making. So Maddie, you know, is more of, and she's moved more towards adulthood today than she was yesterday. I mean, I just see it on a fast timeline. Like you see um, those nature shows, you know, where the rose is opening or whatever. Get that soberness in your heart that everything you're doing with your child really is moving them towards this adulthood and it will define for you what you do and don't do with your child. Just fall together very quickly. And it will also um, help you <clears throat> help you take your child in the direction that that is optimal for their life, right? So let me let me just go on from here. We're going to see how this makes sense. Um, I have actually a really interesting article here, but I'm not going to take the time to read it. it, it I'll just read the beginning part because it's funny. <laughs> okay, this is. An adult at 18? Not anymore. Adolescence now ends at 25. (laughs) But I've seen another study that said 30. Okay, so adolescence now ends at 25 to prevent young people getting an inferiority complex. This is psychologists. Okay. (laughs) Child psychologists getting new guidelines about the age range they cover. It is hoped changes will this change of extending adolescence, you know, into like to 25. It is hoped changes will prevent children from being rushed through childhood. So the whole article is a mind bender. Um. Because you don't want to, you want a child to be able to suck all the meat off the bones of childhood. So don't rush it. I mean, 30, that's plenty. You know, I mean, don't rush it or they're going to really fall apart. And you're going, oh my God, this is so scary. I that movie several years ago, but it was like Matthew McConaughey and he's living at home at 35 years old and his mom still does his laundry. There's been many since then, but it was one of the first movies of like, seeing that kind of prolonged adolescent stage, like late into yeah. adulthood, a lot of people living at home, and mom, dad taking care of everything for them. You know? It just occurs to me that uh, part of this desire to want to extend childhood comes from the, the sort of um, maybe a fear or this, misbel- this this false belief that you have to lose the best parts of childhood when you become an adult, right? As if somehow you sort of, you can't, you can no longer be creative and fun loving and enjoy the zest of life and, 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 uh, you know, have this sort of fresh world view on things and be be playful. And and instead it's sort of this idea that it's a, it's a false picture of adulthood and a false picture of childhood. They're defining adulthood here almost by saying that, that, Adulthood means responsibility, and if you no longer, if you take away that responsibility, if you yeah. extend childhood and somehow continue to right. grow, yeah, it's a false sense of happiness and value. I mean, you look and you say, okay, we're, we're defining this adolescence, right? Adolescents are the most miserable people in the world. 
Why are they miserable? They can't find any meaning. They have no purpose. Nobody, uh, nobody looks to them for responsibility. Nobody's asking their opinion about anything unless it's artificially like, oh, let's make Johnny feel better. Can we ask your opinion about something? We really don't care about your stupid opinion because it's so childlike. But we'll give you an experience of adulthood. What do you think about A or B? We don't care. Okay. <laughs> so let me move on, right? I mean, that's, so you go, what's happening in the soul of that human being? Absolutely demoralized, absolutely devoid of any sense of value or power or I can make change the world. You know, none of that. Then you go into what they're learning in school where you take out all the great literature and all the great inspiration and you put in Common Core that now takes, you know, they, they're not even reading anything that could elevate the heroic nature of God within them, right? It's like, kill the children, kill the children, suffocate the children. The children are, you know, they're about this big. And it's only because, you know, we've wrapped them like Chinese feet, you know, they used to do with the Chinese women in China or something, and, they're, and they don't grow, they don't, they don't blossom. Okay, so when we talk about the need to have a philosophy of education, so again, if you go back and listen last week, so you're not just piecemealing it here, going, okay, I think I'll do a little spanking. I think I'll do a little timeout. No, I think I'll do a little send to grandma. I can't take you anymore. You know, I mean, I'll just do something, you know, my, my little um, bits of, of, uh, of piecemeal stuff. I like that send to grandma. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, that was in my back pocket, too. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the idea of having a philosophy that defines you feel so much stronger and you know what you're doing, please consider putting as a main part of your philosophy, I'm going to view my child, not as a child that I've been indoctrinated to believe about children, but I'm going to look at my child and say, this is a little, short, you know, a short, young, inexperienced adult in the making. That's my definition of a child. Short inexperienced, young, adult in the making. It will completely change the way you relate to your children and what you do and don't do. Okay, it will, actually what I wrote down here is that it will impact how you speak to them. It will impact how you relate to them in every way. It will impact what you expect from them. And those three things right there are hugely important as to how your child thrives in your environment, how you speak to them, how you relate to them, and how you expect, you know, what you expect of them. Okay, so let me give you an alternative that I believe is God's higher way to, I'm not, actually, I'm totally rejecting the terrible twos. You know, I'm going to have a two-year-old, and I'm not going to have anything terrible about it, thank you very much. I'm going to have children, healthy children, and then I'm going to have adults. I don't know what you guys are doing about your adolescence, but you take your plague and take it somewhere else. I didn't have it with my children because I said no. You know? Okay, you can do the same thing. <laughs> All right. Instead of thinking about these kinds of stages, think about stages of maturing. Stages of... Is that my baby? <laughs> stages of maturing. Okay, now you're seeing your child in the present moving into childhood. Very, very different. Now I'm also not dreading, like that thing we, that quote we read that goes... Two, please, God, don't have them turn two, right? And now we're going, yes, two, yes, three. You know, it's all this grand adventure, right? All right, so I'm going to share some highlights with you from a lecture um, from Bill St. Cyr. He is the executive director for Ambleside Schools International. It's um, the, the uh, founding organization for the school. We're trying to plant a pilot school in the Bay Area. 
And this man is so wise. He just, the, the first time I met him, I actually said to him, I said, ah, I almost would like to move to where you live, cause, but you wouldn't want me because I would just be sitting in your living room all the time going, just pick a topic and talk to me, Bill. Just speak, right? <laughs> I mean, just I'll sit and you know, put you in a rocking chair, you rock, and I'll sit at your feet and you just speak. I mean, the guy is just this pool of wisdom. He's amazing. <laughs> His wife is too. She's, she's such an amazing woman. All right, so I heard a lecture I just pulled up on YouTube, and the, um, he had given a three-part lecture that you can pull up on YouTube. It's called The Pursuit of Maturity, and I commend to you to go and listen to the whole thing. But I'm going to summarize um, some of the points. I'm also going to bring in some other aspects of it, so you're not going to get straight bill. This is my version of, of you know, my spin on some things. He drew a lot of these basic stages of maturity that I'm going to tell you about from E.J. Wilder, and he is um, the director of something called The Shepherd's House, which, again, go on the website and, and check it out. Really good, good stuff. Okay. All right. Here are what I'm presenting to you. The five levels of maturity. This is what you're looking for now. You're not looking for the twos and the terrible threes and all of that. You're looking for these five levels of maturity. And you're going to go the direction your eyes are looking, right? So you're looking in for your child. So we're going to call one, the first level, infant level. And that infant level is from birth through three. So that is completed by the end of three. And, you know, all this is so flexible, but this is what, the chunk that we're doing. So infant through three. Then you've got your child level. Then you've got your adult level, your parent level, and I love this, the elder level. So as we look briefly at each of these stages of maturity, I want you to keep a couple of things in mind. Is child 3 to 12 in his definition? You know, he didn't have down the, the ages. I Some people say it's not 3 to 12, maybe 4 to 12. I've seen that in others, okay. so it might be 4 to 12. And... That's typically what I see, and that's how I view it, because I view adult-level maturity at, at the age of 12 with kids. I mean, it's not they're not going to be brain scientists at the time, whatever, but in terms of you'll see the kinds of things that we're looking at with, with maturity, very, very probable, very very doable with, at, at 12 years of age. And the parent level, and then the elder level. So over the, over the next couple of weeks, I mean, we just have two more sessions, but, but we'll talk about these other ones too, I think. Let's <laughs> see. All right. So we, I want you to keep a couple things in mind as we're looking at this. First of all, think about the levels of maturity your child is going to be experiencing in each of these stages and rejoice. <laughs> Just go, I cannot wait to get to these stages. They're so exciting, right? So different viewpoint. And um, secondly, I want you to be thinking about where you are in your experience and ways of handling life um, in emotional, relational maturity. Now, we're not talking about these levels are not cognitive maturity, right? Cognitive is how I process information, right? No, we're talking about something so much more valuable. These are levels having to do with emotional and, um, and relational maturity. So this is where the rubber meets the road and how successful I am in my life, right? All right, so think about your own level. As we're talking about these things going, oh, I think I skipped this level of maturity and I need to stick all the wagons and go back. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all going to be we're all going to be there. But, because you can only take your child to where you are. You can't take your child to somewhere you're not or you have not been. You can't do it. 
So we've got to work. That's why God says deal with your stuff. <laughs> All right. Um, so during... Um, let, me, let me regroup here so I know. Get here quickly. Okay. During these years of infancy, we're going to look at infancy. So birth to three years. This is... These are the maturity levels that your child is capable of in every way and that you, through the dynamic of how you relate with that child, are drawing these out and helping establish these relational, emotional levels of maturity in a child between the age of birth and three. Okay. I hope you're super impressed with this list because you need to look at your birth to three-year-olds and just your jaw needs to drop and go, I never knew that was in you. I would have, I would have treated you really differently. <laughs> right? So let's, let's get it. All right, the first thing is they're learning. They, they come to a level of maturity. They're developing maturity. The ability to trust and to receive love unconditionally. just going to read you the list. The ability to trust and receive love unconditionally. That's not out of vulnerability. It is, um, the environment in which they learn is, is they're very vulnerable, right? A little child is very vulnerable, can't take care of himself, and, and you give him the image of himself and all of that. But it's not about that. It is about God saying, in this state... You need to learn to trust. This is, this, this is the training ground. The vulnerability of your child is the training ground for trust that will be the root of your ability to succeed in life for the rest of your life. You are developing the ability to unconditionally receive love that will set you on a pace of success for your life. If those two areas are broken in your life, you cannot trust, you can't do anything except work under the law, you know, demanding that other people earn your love and demanding that you prove your love to them, all that, whoa, screwed up world, screwed up family, screwed up life, right? So God, there's this environment of childhood now that isn't about, oh, I need to put out all this effort for this vulnerable child. No, God in his wisdom said, this is a great train, this is the training ground for the root of healthy identity is to be able to trust and to receive unconditional love. Secondly, the ability to live in joy. That's happening from birth to three years of age. Now, the way Bill and, and E.J. Wilder, the way they would describe this is for a child, they would say, okay, joy for a child is, it's good for me to be here with you, right? It's just good for us to be together. That's a state of joy. It's good to be me here with you. That's how Bill says it. It's good to be me here with you. That child learns that. Now, we're going to go on and maybe today or maybe in another session, we're going to talk about the habits and how the brain um, wires in habits, right? Joy is a habit. I mean, don't you know people who you just go and you go, hey, your default position in life is always joy. You might get shaken up, you know, it's like, but when, when, you know, as soon as you get a breath, you're right back into a state of joy. That is your, that's your position of life, right? 
knock me over here and knock me over there, but when the dolly bounces back, centered right in joy, right? And that's learned from one to three years of age. Now talk to me about saying, oh, this is his 17th temper tantrum in two days. I don't know what to do. Where's grandma? You know, <laughs> someone take this child. You're going, whoa, if you th are going to treat this like it's normal and you're going to say, I don't know anything to do about these temper tantrums or this whining or this hitting or this biting like they're describing here. What is that counterpoint to joy, right? Now, joy doesn't mean happy, 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 and they never cry and they're never disciplined, but it means that when, you know, when things settle out, man, that little Bobo doll comes right back in to that child locking in a neurological perspective on life that is based on joy. How many of us are in there? Right? Hmm. Thinking in these two things, where am I and what, what's happening with my child's life? So huge capacity for, for solidifying joy in a child's life. Bounce back into joy, right? Okay, they're learning the ability to peacefully accept no. That's huge. Peacefully accept no. talk about how to do some of these things, like how to encourage Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. So, the understand, fourth, the understanding of what is worth having and what is not worth having. They're learning that from you. What is worth having and what is not worth having. They're learning that. Five, the ability to organize self through imitation. They follow you around, mimic you, and figure out who they are by doing what you do, acting like you act, feeling like you feel. I mean, there it's like the eye of the child is looking on to you going, am I supposed to be tense now? Am I, you know, I just got a boo-boo? Am I supposed to scream and flail? Or am I supposed to say, take it off? Or, you know, what am I supposed to do? You're giving them all those reference points because when you hit your hand with a hammer, what did you do? You know, I mean, they go, whoa, daddy swore, you know, and I'm going, so you got this little three-year-old going, oh, shit, you know, and he fell down. I'm going, well, so, okay, I don't know where he got that. Okay. All right, so you have to ask yourself, should your child mimic your mental, emotional, and physical actions? Good question. Um, so Bill says, you know, we never figure out who we are from the inside. We always find out who we are by being in relationship with someone else. That's what's going on in zero through three. It goes on after that, but this is the firm locking time. Number six, the mastery of their bodies. This does not happen apart from community that has expectations on, on that body. A child will never learn to sit appropriately, he says, appropriately in a chair unless they grow up in a community where there's an expectation to sit in a chair a certain way, right? So. In this environment, they're learning how to master their body based upon the expectations that are, are on them. Number seven, the ability to move naturally and smoothly from an energized state to a restful state. Thinking about yourself? <laughs> the ability, eight, the ability to receive the whole world as a gift cultivated through curiosity. Yes. The ability, just that one? Yeah, the, the ability to receive the whole world as a gift, cultivated through curiosity. And number nine, 
the ability to enjoy many types of things and situations knowing that they can take care of themselves and if they can't, they know how to ask for the help they need. The ability to enjoy many types of things and situations knowing secure inside of themselves that they can take care of themselves in all these different situations and, and things or if they can't, they know how to ask for what they need. Right? I'm going to try and climb this wall and I, you know, I get halfway up and I go, whoa, can't get up, can't go down. Uh, Dad, you know, could you hold my foot? Could you push me here? Could you, you know, help me on this bike or something, right? And so you know you either got what it takes to manage this thing or you know how to ask for what you need. Right? All right, those are the nine things. There's more probably, but that's what we point out here. So listen, let me ask you, by the time a child is four, these should be the habits of life, not the temper tantrums, not the whining, not the throwing, you know, all of this. If I'm looking at those things, that's what I get. If I'm looking at these things, that's what I'm going to get. That's what I'm going to help perpetuate, with, you know, develop in my child. So realize that if we just mastered the infancy level of maturity, that's it. If we never progressed in maturity beyond zero through three, and we mastered all of these things in our lives, we would be set up for great success as an adult. So what does, let me ask you, I hope to God, I am shifting your attitude when you're looking at these little children that you have, right? This is not just downtime that you have. This is the foundational time of deep defining um, experiences. Hi. Deep defining levels of maturity being raised in this child that set the foundation for the success for their whole life, right? And it's happening very, very quickly, every day. You know, progress, 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 just like God designed in nature. We're going to move through childhood, we're going to lock these things in, and most of our life is going to be set, you know, spent as a, a successful adult, right? Conquering the kingdoms God has to conquer. All right. Um, let me skip some things here. Okay, so will my my child, two year old child, throw a temper tantrum? Yeah, he's got a flesh. It's a fallen world. He's a fallen creature. Creature. He needs to be redeemed. He's going to throw a temper tantrum. But what do I do with that? <laughs> You know, does he throw scads of them every week or daily, you know, just because he's two? No. A temper tantrum lays down a track in a child's brain. Charlotte Mason will say, habit is worth ten natures. Remember this one? Habit is worth ten natures. A habit is like the train track in the soul of an individual. If I want to take Bart and I want to go to Davy Symphony Hall, I can get there on BART because the tracks get me there, right? If I want to go somewhere else where the tracks are not laid down, I don't care if I get on it. It's not going to, the train can't get me there, right? So the level of neurological tracking, every time your child does something, right, there's now been a connection. The synapses have fired. There's been literally a change to the brain that brings that child's neurology into a track laid down where 
A tantrum lays the track for the next tantrum, lays the track for the next tantrum, lays a deeper, more solid track for the next tantrum. It literally changes the brain. Our, our brain makeup changes on the basis of our actions. We tend to look at it the other way a lot of times and say our actions are determined by what our brain tells us to do. And I'm not denying that that's true, and I'm not a scientist. But I also know from the things I'm reading that your brain is shaped by what you do. Okay? Look at, we're watching the Olympics, right? That guy who's flipping over 72 times in that half pipe, pipe thing, whatever he's doing, has got a different brain than me. <laughs> he does have a different brain. Because he has taken action and, and routed those connections in his brain that his musculature changes, his everything changes. Your physiology changes on the basis of what you do. And what you do, changing that physiology, now begins to lock in a habit which is worth ten natures. All right? So this is why I go back to the principle that we talked about last week, one of them saying, your philosophy of parenting as Christian parents is not the philosophy of the world. The philosophy of the world is I parent on the basis of what I, I do with my child and for my child in terms of his behavior and shaping his life based upon what I can tolerate, right? I mean, somebody might say, why do you let your child talk to you like that? I don't know. I said no to him 50 times. He didn't stop, and now it doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm done, right? And you go, oh, my God, Dad, please don't do that. I mean, we're people under authority, right? God doesn't give you permission to do that. You cannot choose a philosophy of parenting that is on the basis of what you can tolerate. You choose a philosophy of parenting that's on the basis of what builds the soul of your child, body, soul, and spirit. God is always talking about this. Body, soul, and spirit, right? Why? Because they're absolutely interrelated. So the action of your child, when you see a child who is misbehaving, the greatest tool you have is prevention. That's your top-notch thing. Don't let it happen in the first place. Don't lay the first track, right? Now, that's our first goal. You don't always get your first choice, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not a perfect world. So now we go back and we've got, we pick up other tools in our toolbox. But, um, so let me just work, work through the rest of this and we'll talk some more about it. Uh, um, so anything else before we go? Uh, okay. All right, I'm going to stop here, and we're going to open up for, for questions. And then I've got a little bit more. If you to, but I see that hand. <laughs> How exactly? All right. Yeah, well, so for example, yes. Maddie's 13 months old. Yes. She is a pretty joyful, happy kid. Uh -huh. She's pretty mellow. She's actually pretty obedient if you tell her don't do something she's a pretty good listener she might have a memory of a goldfish and turn around and try to go back and do it again 30 seconds later but I at least like, she listens <laughs> well, but, but she li I mean no, no, she, she listens yeah. when you tell her don't do right, something she does. Um, but she you get to the end of the day maybe she's a little bit more tired so it's 4 o'clock Steph's trying to make dinner and she doesn't want to be left alone right. or be away from mom she wants to be held in the kitchen underfoot and it's just not functional so we're trying to put her on the other side of Let's get her to play happily yeah. you know and her way of dealing with that now is to just scream freaking bloody murder until she gets what she wants mm -hmm. and that's the only time she really does it she's not she's not a screamer for pretty much anything I mean, everyone so you know i've noticed like 
for screaming occasionally. Sometimes she'll will be in like an elevator and echoey space. No, she'll be like, fun. yeah, and but that's more of like, hey, my voice echoes here. You know, we're yeah. in a parking garage, and she just thinks that's really cool to scream and hear like the reverberation <laughs> back. So that you know, I mean, you know, so that's that's probably the other times when. Yeah, she but she's just picking up context for noise yeah. at that point. But in this case, it's actually a behavioral thing of yeah. I'm going to scream until I get my way. Yeah. So I would, I, I'm, everybody pull in because there's no, you know, black and white kinds of answers. What I would suggest to you is you're asking too much of her. Um, she is just 13 months, and the cognitive ability to hold a thought that says, if I play quietly by myself, I'll have my mom back in 45 minutes after she finishes cooking dinner is beyond her. And all she knows is the separation, which she doesn't like, and something important is going on with mom over here, and I'm being punished and separated. So she's, she's receiving that isolation off to the side in a very negative way. It's, it's like, wait, this does not feel good to my soul to have my mom over here doing the important stuff and me left over here. I don't have a sibling to play with. I don't have a dog to pester. I don't have anything. I've got all the toys I've all had behind a gate, and I'm over here while mom is over here. So how do we not build neurological pathways towards screaming in the future? Right. Even if, I mean, if we, cause we, we can't have her underfoot while we're trying to cook with just one of us in the kitchen. It's dangerous for her. So, yeah, um, we kind of can't. Have well, her. one of the things, and you know, this is just all throwing out ideas. One of the things that when we, when I was older, we had play pens, and and we made great use of the play pens because it's contained space that you can have right by you, but your kid can't wander off and they can't do whatever, but they're still with you. And so when you take a child from a baby stage and they're used to being in that playpen for periods of time right there with you, you could put a playpen in the middle of your kitchen floor, right? And you're still able to, the child is with you, but they're not loose and running around. You can dump the Tupperware things in the playpen. You can do all that. It's very hard to get a child used to um, a playpen when they haven't had a playpen. So you kind of, that, I just go, that's a tool that your generation Sorry. My mother-in-law always rants about how we need to use a playpen. My <laughs> no, generation, yeah. Now yeah. that we know this, the second kid will get a playpen. Get a playpen. <laughs> we just always just use it as like a travel pen. Right. But, like but can you see, it, it's just a tremendous tool because it, it can bypass all of that. Your child can be right by you, but they're, they're standing there looking here. You're handing them things. You're able to look over your shoulder and talk to them the whole time you're working. And they're, they're perfectly fine because I'm with so mom, but I'm not, I'm not doing the wrong things. Six or nine months in the kitchen with the little baby Dior and like half size. Our kitchen is tiny, so like uh -huh. half size. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a certain stage when he he didn't like it anymore. And so yeah, what we what we do just because of the layout of our house, our bedroom is right off the kitchen, and yeah. so we we actually elevate that dinner time to like a special treat time. So like being on mom and dad's bed is kind of a fun thing, mm -hmm. and so like he can be on the bed can and see you he can kitchen. see me. Um, and then I give him these little like battery powered lights that he loves to play with. So like, I think creating a new, as opposed to like let's manage with the existing things that you're familiar with that are more fun when mom's there, yeah. to saying like okay let's elevate to something that's even more delightful or a different kind of delight. Yeah. 
um, for this time frame where you might have to be alone or you might have to be entertaining yourself a little bit more. Um, as Will's grew older as well, we have our high chair yeah. in the kitchen, yeah. and that's still only, a, like, he can only be in there for, like, 10 to 15 minutes, so yeah. I try to do, like, my chopping and my, like, hot oil time then, right. yeah. <laughs> and, like, if I can try to time that right and, like, keep mm -hmm. giving him food and, you yeah. know, stuff like that. But yeah, the high chair I've, I've used tactically like that yeah. as well, but it has, a, like, a... A time span. A time span. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a very and then you're window. like, well, okay, why not? It'll work longer if you feed her, but then you're just using food to get her to be quiet. Yeah, and don't want to yeah so, and the other thing, so it, it just takes a, a lot of creativity, um, and they have those wonderful little cages, you know, I mean, but they push right up to the sink. Have you seen them? I mean, they fold down, they fold up, and your child can actually stand in them. It's like, you know how they raise those baskets up with those guys who chop the trees? It's like one of those. You roll it up. It's just got a frame around it like this, so the child can actually stand there at the sink, and they can't fall over. It's not like you're standing on a chair, and the kid can go, whoop, you know, fall off the edge. They're contained in there. And, and they're wonderful because the child can be there, and you can take your chopping stuff over on one side of the sink, and you can give them messy stuff they can be doing there. I mean, these years... Like, here, chop up this onion for me. Here, chop up this onion. Take care of that. You're an adult. <laughs> Did you learn knife skills? No, not yet. <laughs> you don't like chopping onions? No. Yeah. Like here, Maddie. Put these glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> these onion glasses. <laughs> I mean, or, do you, or like a backpack? I mean, I don't, I don't know if she's just yeah, now. We I have... It's more like... Yeah, yeah I, I, we do have that hiking backpack. Do you have any toys that you just use in the kitchen? No. I mean, other than the Tupperware thing. I'll pull out some Tupperware for her to play with. You know. This is, um, if you want to see, I think this is the type of thing. She, is this okay, what you yeah, were talking what about? This cage thing you were speaking <laughs> of. Okay. okay. So I, they stand in that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's adjustable. I have a friend who has a very difficult uh, two-year-old daughter, yeah. and she had to get something like this because I don't know how she does it when she cooks, but um, her daughter's just into everything. And it's really hard. She yeah. wants. But I like that, like Svetlana, what you're saying, like toys just in the kitchen, and your thing of giving Will's those, you know, particular lights that you like to play with. Yeah, like, something that's unique to that time frame. So it's yeah. like something that they look forward to. As like, yeah. oh, cool, yeah, this is. Not a, you know, a, a an alternative, a less desirable alternative. Yeah. This is a different kind. Right. Of so the bottom line that I would get down to is you have to you have to raise the bar for your children. You want them. You're moving them towards adulthood. She has to be able to peacefully learn to accept. No, you can't be with me right now. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's on the on the the. Um, Scale of one to ten of what you, how you learn peaceful acceptance of no, you've like jumped the gamut and gone right to the top. No, I can't be with my mom, and I'm left alone in another room, you know, on the other side where I can't. I'm I, whoa, like there's this wall. It's like okay, you probably have to work her up to some increments where she's able to take that. I think what you're asking of her is too much. And one, one just additional tool from a, a friend of ours, Tara, who I respect enormously, is she she has room time, like for her kids all throughout. They're like six and eight now. Yeah. And so there's quiet time that's not about nap time, but it's like you are in your bed and you're quietly talking to God or singing or whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I find that if I need like that dinner time, like I'll put him down and sometimes he'll sleep and they're like, it's like a late afternoon little quick nap or 
he's I've created I think places of safety where he feels like if I've been put here it's because mama knows best and this is safe and this is not a punishment and so I, there's like a very delicate balance where if I yeah. did a third time in the bed you know throughout the course of the day like it would probably feel like this is too much but right now he trusts me to say like okay either I'm supposed to be napping or if I'm not napping it's okay and I can just talk to myself and sing so I think places of safety is another um, is another thing that I think mm-hmm. for us the, the, the our big bed represents like okay I'm being put here not as punishment it's fun and um, and also just like encouraging him to you know like this time with you talk to God and I would wonder about um, maybe trying to do something where you you um, slowly shape the behavior that you want where you are actually giving them a positive joyful experience while you're out of the room even if it's for like mm-hmm. 10 seconds you start at right. 10 seconds right here's something really special and enjoyable and fun that you really you, you, here's the tupperware right you only get the tu- the tupperware is a 10 out of 10 for her or something like that and and you or you're feeding her and she's really enjoying just sort of being peaceful calm contented and you just leave the room for 10 seconds. And before she she looks around and goes, right. oh my God, where's mom? Come back, then leave for 20 seconds. And before she looks around and goes, then come back, and then leave for 30 seconds, and then come yeah. back. And, and work up to the point where it's like you're out of the room or maybe out of sight for a couple of minutes yeah. and go beyond that. So you're, you're reinforcing the, I can be happy and contented even when mom's not in sight exactly. kind of thing. But that could take, you know. You won't get dinner made. No. No. Okay, so now, here's the principle. So that in the first few weeks, because if you you think about it that way, you go, well, right now I have to make dinner. Well, but if you don't train the behavior that you want, then a two-year-old will be a total nightmare. A four-year-old will be a total nightmare. You won't be able to cook then either, right? You have to eventually create the behaviors that you need for success down the road. Yeah, so you're looking and saying, pay me now or pay me later. But that you will pay. <laughs> okay? So it's pay me now or pay me later. I mean, in the early parts of my life raising this child, um, I'm saying, so what's the priority for me? The priority is developing these, helping my child develop as God intended. This is what is in my child. These um, maturity levels, the seeds of that are in my child. So I'm releasing those, right? But I'm releasing them progressively and I'm, you know, helping them build. So now, if I end up making choices, um, what's the word, uh, I, expediently, right? You know, so you're always going to have things to go, you know what, we have got to get on the airplane and we're going to miss it. And so scream your way all the way down to the plane because can't, you know, we're getting on the plane, right? So now everything's gone to hell in a handbasket in terms of how you're dealing with your child because you've got this expedient moment, you know, everything's got to go by the wayside because this has to happen. That cannot happen very often in your life. And, and I would say, though, let me just add this little hint here, and it's really a good one. Um, there's three major hindrances to good parenting. Three, I think. Physical exhaustion, mental preoccupation, and physical pain. It is almost impossible to be a really good parent and do well by your child, to not offend, despise, or, you know, um, hinder, right? When you are physically exhausted, 
mentally preoccupied, or you're in pain. So there's a responsibility the same way I'm going to say, if I am going to um, fly a plane or I'm going to take responsibility to uh, whatever my job is, right, I have to take that responsibility to make sure I'm keeping myself in the state of being that allows me to do that job, right? Highly irresponsible for me to take on a job and then cultivate a lifestyle that, that in me does not allow me to stay in the state of being to do that job well. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? So as parents, these decisions, I'm, you know, the, the level when you say, you got to get dinner done, if I am absolutely, you know, husband coming, got to have dinner on the table in some form, it may end up today going, you know what, honey? Link arms with me. We're having fruit. We're having fruit, and I got a cup of coffee made or something. You know, I mean, that's worst-case <laughs> scenario kind of thing. And you laugh, and you go, but Annie is doing great. You know, <laughs> going, ah, oh, let's suck our little orange and rejoice, right, because we made it through that whatever. I mean, you just have to have that level of flexibility as, a, as parents to what do I value, right? Um, but... In this season of life where these demands in these early years, pay me now, are high on the spectrum, it is a season where you're going to have to, if you want to do it well, moderate your life so that you are not feeding into physical exhaustion. Will you be physically exhausted? Yes. The times when she's up, you know, five times a night and you're both going, right? I, I didn't bring this on me. I, I just couldn't sleep. But if I'm also saying I've got... What have I done to deserve this? <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? But I've also got to say, if I'm also building into my life in this season the things, other things that are putting too many demands on me so I'm exhausted, I want to raise my child, but I also want to hang out with my friends late at night. I also want to do Facebook till 3 in the morning. I also want to, you know, read this book, which is my thing. Like, oh, please, God. Make this child said, if I want to read my book, what? Don't ask me anything. Just give me an hour to read my book. So, you know, if we, if we push the envelope the rest of the way, you're physically exhausted, you're going to really mess up. The same way with levels of pain. So, it, you know, yes, you have a responsibility as a parent to say, I've, I've got to be in shape to be a parent. <laughs> Really? I, there's physical skills I need, physical ability I need to be. Are you punching her? I said we got to have more kids sooner so I'm not old and crotchety. <laughs> <laughs> this man knows how to work the system, right? <laughs> I grabbed that point and here's the turn. <laughs> I feel my back going out. Let's have a child. Yeah, right. Bart's hey, notes from this on. session comprise one. <laughs> This is my the living takeaway thought. How funny! I, guess. I love it. I, I I don't know. I have to ask guess. how old you are. No need to guess. That's that's mean. Oh no, it's horrible. That is horrible. I don't want to guess because I could be wrong. You could be thirty, or you could be. I got 40. carded at dinner last night. That's pretty. Funny. You got carded at dinner. <laughs> I think sometimes when people get to be like between the ages of like twenty-five and forty, like 
You can't always tell. No, you can't. Yes. Uh, he's, like he's, he's nine years older than I'm, and they sometimes think that he's actually younger. Like, when we say we're nine years apart, sometimes they're like, oh, who's younger? <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay, so carry on. <laughs> so I'm trying to think if we have a, an example that we want to have the group problem solve with us. Okay, let me yeah, let me just do this and we'll tie it at the end. All right, so so anyway, the business of physical exhaustion, the business of keeping yourself um, in shape so that you're not in pain. You know, you've got a responsibility, and and third thing, mental preoccupation. This is my big thing. Going, oh man, I'm such an expansive thinker, and I want to be doing this, doing this, doing that, and and to say. Wait, my first responsibility is to keep myself in a position where I have everything available, all the resources, internal resources available to give my child my best. It means we get to this stage. Here are the rest of the stages. Let me just tell you this real quick. Child level of maturity, 4 to 12. The basic thing they're learning is to take care of self while being kind to others. The adult level of maturity is taking care of others and self in a mutually satisfying relationship. And when we get to parent level of maturity, the primary state of maturity of a parent is sacrificially taking care of a child, taking care of children. Sacrificially, grace with grace, being able to sacrifice self for the sake of the child. I won't read this book till three in the morning because if I do, the first time my child is out of line, I'll nail him because <laughs> I'm just tired. You know? So, <clears throat> selfish woman says, I'll do it anyway and he'll just cope. Wise woman says, get some sleep so you cannot hinder and despise your child. <laughs> and then, this is what I love about these these and we touched on it last week, the fifth level is elder level of maturity. I no longer care just for me and my family, but sacrificially care for the community. Think about this in terms of Christianity. Think about this in terms of the kingdom of God being established on earth. If Christians went through all five of these stages and became elders early in life, elders, no longer just caring for self and family, but caring for the community. And, and I mentioned last week that, you know, when you're looking at this child and saying, um, you know what, I have very, very few months, really, I can categorize it in months, tag it in months, um, to <clears throat> relate to you as an adult to a child. And all along this way where you're going to be transforming more and more and more, you know, into this from infant to child to adult, quickly as God intended, you know, on a fast continuum, not a one that goes until they're 87. Ah, I was an adolescent and then I died. (laughs) 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 Um, um, so, So now you've got, you're looking at this child and saying, okay, I'm looking at you, you're just little and young, an inexperienced adult in the making, I'm thinking elder. I mean, it was so powerful for me. I mean, God bless this woman, Charlotte Mason, you know, in my life, to be able to look at my children and say, all along the line, I am thinking elder, 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 
elder, elder, and looking and saying, what could take my kid out on this emotional, relational scale of maturity? I look at my children constantly. I still do it now. The mama part comes out. And I look at them, and as I'm praying for them, and I'm saying, strength, 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 you know, moving towards elder, moving towards elder, moving towards elder. Ooh, black hole. This could take them out. And that's when I, you know, that's what I pray into. That's when I come along and I say, okay, on the level of emotional, relational maturity, this is a hole that has glorious as you are, Satan could take you out right here, right? Sometimes I mention it, sometimes I just get camel knees and I pray. But that's what you're thinking with this little tiny, you know, 13-month-old, this little tiny baby. You're thinking, little, young, inexperienced, adult in the making, elder, right? Okay, go with your question. I've got two different ones and we can see which one is more interesting well one is um, he's unfortunately starting he, he's starting to pick up different habits from he's going to preschool two days a week now Yeah. and one of them is um, sometimes when he doesn't get what he wants like uh, you know like going like face down and um, and, and like it's, it's weird it's not that he like wants to get attention, like it's fine. Like I'll, I'll, I can walk out of the room, but he just like it's his response mechanism. Yeah, and so my main tactic is to like distract him or redirect him with a question. So I think like as also as I think Maddie's growing, I feel like I've been noticing how like um, asking questions where he's starting yeah. to know how, that like a question expects a response mm-hmm. is like very powerful in, in like redirecting that cry. And I read the the first case study in the book that we're reading for the moms group, and yeah. that the um, Sort of as soon as you see the like quivering lip, to be like, oh, "Do you want to go to the garden with Dada?" Great. He's Prevention you. You know. is your first, first, your most powerful thing. Don't let it break. Don't right. let it break in. Right. Yeah. And so I guess um, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So just if there's um, other ways when the oh, I think that's the weird one. Is like um, he he looks to us. He's like wanting to model stuff and like wipe stuff off with the rag and learning to sit on the mm-hmm. potty because it's like we're doing and so he's doing a lot of modeling excited about that generally but the one thing is um, uh, like wanting to independently walk with us to the car for example mm-hmm. sometimes that's when it's like okay come on like be, be a big kid walk to the car with us and then he'll like ah, cry and I'm like what, what that's very strange like of all Heck the yeah. things to sort of it's not like even taking something away from him but like doing this adult mm-hmm. thing of walking with us somewhere so anyway mm-hmm. that's that's one, and then the second one is seeing, you know, my own like bad, you know, pathways like emerging through parenting, mm-hmm. right? And like you said, you, you can't bring someone there if you haven't been there yourself. And so I see myself like responding in kind of two cases, um, like over over the top. One is like if he does something where he's like about to inflict harm on himself, like like going into the cabinet, which he's not supposed to do, and then he's like broken like a glass, one of his little glass containers, then I'll, I'll like shout at him, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, and then I'll apologize later, but that like, he's already yeah, observed yeah. that. Um, or something that he's about to do that is going to uh, inflict a, a large amount of work for me, especially as it yeah. relates to like spilling something on the bed, which requires washing and re-putting and putting the thing on, you know, so mm-hmm. like on our 
massive king cow king thing. So those are the things that I see myself responding to in a way that I don't want to be modeling for him. Mm -hmm. And so I guess questions in terms of for our own self, like how we, if we know certain behaviors for us, like what are those sort of adult like re reworking of pathways that we can be doing such mm -hmm. that we can then be modeling the right things. So. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I I would just throw out a couple of principles. Mm -hmm. One, you know, so prevention is, is your greatest tool, and distraction can be a part of that. There's also the time at which you don't want to use distraction because, honestly, this child has to be able to peacefully receive no, not always, never have to face that, op, you know, that option, right? But parenting as a principle is, is probably the most creative thing you'll ever do in your life. And and so you're always thinking of some, you're, you're always kind of pulling, you, you have your philosophy so that it tells you, your belief system tells you what your borders are. This is not available to me. Screaming at my child is not available to me. I might do it, but I am outside my philosophy. Get in line, woman, right? <laughs> Get back inside, right? I, I, I have my philosophy here. So, but within that creative thing, I've got these tools. I've got training. I've got sense of humor, which is really wonderful with children, right? Um, I've got the role modeling. You know, I mean, I can just kind of go open up the doctor kit. Oh, we've got the plague. What do we have in here that could treat the plague, <laughs> right? <laughs> or coming out, okay. So with, for example, tr training, this is something that I love. When you have a situation happen and it all goes wrong, well, I lie in bed and I think, well, how are we not going to have that one happen again, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I didn't even know, I didn't see it coming, right? But now, what's going on, the dynamic here, that I can prevent this? Then I get my, I open up my little training, you know, toolkit, right? So if you have a child that, for example, throws himself on the floor, there's a couple of things that I would try. One is, I, I would just make it a game. Now it's a serious thing for him, right? Mm -hmm. So he's just going... I don't want to walk to the car, you know, and he goes down, right? So it's a serious thing in his heart, right? But you can honestly say, you can honestly do things very young with a kid. I'm picturing all of us doing yeah. it. Yes, 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 literally, literally, I'm telling you, humor is an amazing shifter. It's an amazing de a decontaminator, so yeah. to speak, right? So honestly, so here he is going, Mommy, come here, and you go, Wills. Yeah! <laughs> and you just hit the ground, you know? And he looks at you like, is she dead? You know, where I'm like, mommy! <laughs> and then you just roll over and start laughing. And then when he does it, you know, you go, Will. So, you know, you're going to the car. This is when you can't be exhausted, you can't be mainly distracted, and you can't always be in a hurry. That's the other thing. Don't yeah, always be in a hurry. You're in big trouble, right? So you've got time. You've got get yourself have 10 extra minutes to get out the car. And he doesn't want to walk to the to the car, you know? I would just, honestly, this is so crazy. Should I put this on the table? Because you're going to think you're crazy. But I would walk beside my child, and he starts to go down, and I would just, I would just fall on the ground, too. He'd be down there, and you'd just go, Aah! right next.
walks to him and then look over him and go, think I gotta go to the car? Come on, let's go to the car. By that time he's like so jarred out of the seriousness of it all, you know, that something will something will shift. Now, maybe a total bomb, he might just look at you and burst into a temper tantrum or something because you jarred him so much. And you go, Well, okay, take that tool out of the box. This does not match his personality. <laughs> Not every child is okay with that kind of. Not every child is okay with that, but but you know some are. You know how you grew up. (laughs) (laughs) You wonder why we have a weird sense of humor. Does anyone want coffee? I tell you, just one day we did this. I have to finish this story, but we were at dinner one time, and Dick had had a horrible day. He had just had a horrible day, and he was so tense and feeling so angry. Everything had gone wrong, right? And we're sitting with the kids all around the table, and it was that you could have just cut the tension with a knife, right? And so something again went wrong, and Dick got up from the table to fix the wrong thing, right? That's his thing. If it's wrong, he's just, this is kind of Achilles thing for him, right? So he, I looked at the boys, and we had dinner on the table and there was a bowl of spinach but not chopped spinach like kind of a long spinach so I looked at the boys and I said this and I reached over and I got two big strands and I stuffed it at my nose (laughs) (laughs) and I just sat there with this green stuff spinach hanging out my nose (laughs) I just sat at the table like this and Dick came around the table and he was (laughs) like that and he saw (laughs) Santa goes the other side of the table and he looked over like <laughs> And it just you know, it just broke everything. It just broke the whole thing. I mean how it can you, you know. So it works with adults too. It's called a pattern interrupt. It's called a pattern interrupt. Let's see, I knew there was a technical name for it. Yeah, people have, I mean, you talk about this in, in like Tony Robbins and yeah. life coaching and stuff like that. that it's, it's a pattern interrupt. People have a particular behavior pattern they lock into, and the best thing you can do for yourself you could is try to learn it. how to break your own pattern. Yeah, right? and if Dick was a violent man, I probably could have lost some teeth. But <laughs> he isn't, and he was very pliable, and he laughed, you know. So, <laughs> all right, let's pray. <laughs> oh, Father, thank you for joy. Thank you for laughter. Thank you that you have placed inside of us as persons, whether we are one month, one day, or 102, God, you have given us beautiful, creative imaginations, and um, we can envision and creatively try. Lord, what you told us, you said, above all, pursue love. So, Lord, um, as these uh, young parents um, pursue love of you and love of their children. I ask you for an anointing of wisdom and joy and revelation. Lord, all the foundational layers of um, infancy, (laughs) Lord, um, that they can peacefully accept, no, no, I can't cook dinner the way I want to cook dinner tonight. (laughs) No, I can't get to the car as fast as I want. Lord, that, there's ways in our hearts we need to peacefully receive um, a, a block of our plans where no is said to us, Lord. And, and Lord, uh, all those different areas of development, God, I ask you that you would move in the souls of these dear people now um, to ponder these things, to come and say, Oh, Father, um, I wasn't parented well, or I didn't respond to good parenting, but somehow this is not part of my my foundational, emotional, relational abilities. Now would you reparent me, Father?
and thank you that you'll do that, and you'll do it quickly, <laughs> as quick as we'll allow you to. Thank you for healthy homes, God. I pray that today, Lord, there's been a shift in the vision of each of these parents, that as they look at these small children, they see young, um, inexperienced, um, short adults in the making, um, and that you can move these children from adult, from childhood, from infancy to childhood, to adulthood, to parenting, to eldership, Lord, and the speed with which you have designed to do it. We praise you and bless you, God. Give them, Lord, as they ponder these specific things. What do I do with this little child in this, this, and this? Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, and you said you would teach them things to come. And so give them all those creative ideas from heaven right inside a good philosophy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I'm curious, I know we have to wrap up because we're a few minutes after, but I'm still kind of thinking about that example, and I wonder if there is there any other sort of tool, tool uh, in the toolkit, maybe you could just briefly like talk, talk about a couple of the other toolkit things that maybe we can brainstorm on our own, like if, if we had a similar situation, what other toolkit things could we think about? You talk about sense of humor, I'm thinking about uh -huh. like, playing, uh, turning it into a game, right? Training. That's sort of a sense Training of is the huge Training. One. First it is, the first, the first line of defense, the best scenario is prevented. Just see it coming and don't let it happen because you don't want to lay down that neurological track. Once something has happened, your body shifts and it's ready to happen again easier, 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 right? So prevention, best thing. Training is the next thing. And you train outside of training does not take place in the midst of the traumatic situation. Right. Training takes place after that is over in a neutral scenario, neutral setting where there's no tension, right? Outside of the context of any pressures now. So I have a child who, <clears throat> I don't know, some, some level of behavior where they um, go into a group of children and they're always the bossy one, right? They're always the one going, all these toys are in my corner and get away, right? I, you know, I, all those blocks are mine, all the car is mine, all the, you know, some kids just like gather everything up and then leave everybody in the empty side of the room. Say, don't get my stuff, right? So now, you're going to just do your best scenario um, because it just happened. You walked into your friend's house, that's what your child was doing, and you're sort of aghast and looking down going, oh, I'm so sorry, that was my child. <laughs> You get home, you can train. You can set up a scenario, right? And you, and you put out all these toys and you go, okay, well, let's play now. And then you act that out. You go, oh, you've got that block? Oh, I, I need that block over here. Oh, that car? Oh, I'll pull that car over here, right? So you're acting it out for your child and you're leaving them on the other side. And then you go, look at this. I got all the toys. You got nothing. <laughs> you know, and then you're, and so you're training that way, right? You do role reversal. Role, role play, role, role play, reversal, role reversal. all a part of training. A game where you say, you know, it's so fun for you to give me the toys. Yes. Right? And, and all for, those creative things that have, have to the do. Toys, then we play with them yeah. together because it's more fun. Exactly. Um, exactly. Like you're it breaking about, it down into steps. If yeah. it was about getting from, from place to place, maybe you could set up a game or, a, you know, it's training, but it's play, yeah. right, where you're, you need to get from here to that place, and when you get to that place, we play with a toy that you really like exactly. there or something like exactly. that. But if we stop along the way, then we don't play with the toy, right? Yep. It has to be, like, direct from A to B. Exactly. 
Yeah, that training is your, that's, that's you know, there's the top two yeah. gold star ones. Cool. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming, you guys. Thank you.